Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this next episode of Sports and Torts. Hope everybody out there is doing well. Hope you guys enjoyed my guy, James Robeson, from last week. And maybe he inspired you to go climb one of those big old mountains he's always talking about. So uh, get out and, and run marathons and climb mountains like James. Y'all, I get excited for all these podcast interviews, but some I get more excited than others. And today is one of those days where I'm more excited than usual because we have a true legal treasure in the house and her husband, Mark. Erica, we've been friends since law school, somebody who every time we speak, I genuinely have a massive smile on my face for the entire conversation. Um, you've recently switched sides in the litigation game. Uh, you are senior counsel at the law firm of Littner and Degania now. So we are here. We are doing this podcast. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. Thank you for having me. Mark, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Well, y'all travel from Alabama today. Yes, we moved to Auburn about uh, six months ago. Um, and a really loving life. It's a good situation. I think y'all have the furthest distance to travel for someone on this podcast. So I appreciate that. Wear that with pride. It was totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. Yeah. Well, look, we, um, you know, I always ask folks like, what do you like to drink? What do you want to drink? And you said an old fashioned would be not, would be fun, something different. So we've got a smorgasbord of stuff here. We've got the traditional, you know, bitters and simple syrup and orange slices. We've got this old fashioned in a can. We've got the simple syrup, you know, pre-made. So I say we just kind of sample it all, see where we land. Yeah. If the whole lawyer thing doesn't work out for you, you have a very promising career in bartending. Well, I know my way around a bar, but I'm not a, like a cocktail person. Mark, are you a cocktail guy or are you just... I am a simple man. Yeah. Um, Leonard Skinner? If, if you could. Yeah. <laughs> Bama man, you know, very simple. Uh, whiskey and water. <laughs> That's it. I might have to. I do love an old-fashioned, though. Well, this is pretty good. So, Erica, look, I know that one of the dreams of your life was to be the Queen of England, right? Yes. That was your dream. Um, but I have to say that being a guest on this podcast is, is a close runner-up, right? I mean— so, so we make dreams come true here. Absolutely. Abs I, I mean, it's pretty evident that I'm not going to be Queen of England at this point. Um, so, yeah, this this is the absolute next best thing. And I, I've been jonesing for a spot in front of this microphone for almost two years now. I'm, I'm ecstatic to be here. I, I'm excited for you to be here, too. You know, our mom was here a while ago. Uh, My deepest condolences. Yeah, I know. But he set, he set the bar <laughs> so low for a guest. All, all you, you got to do is, you know. You jump over that and you're good to go. Look, Armand is the lawyer that we all aspire to be. He is he is the person that we all aspire to be. Years ago, he and I were having a conversation and, and Mark was in on it. And I, we likened Armand to George Harrison because he is just he's just a hell of a guy. Um, and, and I knew, you know, we'll get into this in a little bit. But I, when I was ready to leave the defense side, um, I didn't leave specifically to be a plaintiff's attorney. I didn't leave and randomly pick that firm. I left solely with the intention of being a lawyer with Steve Littner and Armand Deganian. And it was hands down the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of nerves, a lot of, you know, close my eyes and jump off the cliff. But um Somebody had been insisting for a long time that the, the, the guy to your right uh -huh. is that was that's time. someone. It's me, <laughs> right? Um, and eventually, you know, every now and then he'll he'll 
have some little nuggets of wisdom. Um, and that was a great one. I should have listened to him years ago. I should have made this move years ago. You know, I, I say that about myself too. Should made the move years ago, but I don't know if I believe that. I think it's good to do what we did, get the experiences that we did, whether it was 10 years, 15 years, five years. It's all for a reason, right? The past play themselves out. Well, the real upside to me for leaving when I did um, was that I had built up a pretty nice book of business on the defense side. I had some wonderful clients that I had enjoyed working with for a very long time. Um, but I also had two junior partners that I owed most of my success to and that I, you know, I wouldn't have built up that book if it weren't for the two of them. Um, and it gave me the opportunity when I walked away to then pass off that entire book to them so that they didn't have to do quite as much heavy lifting on the front end to develop that book because they'd already done it. They'd, they'd already helped me create it. And people appreciate others leaving in a good way, right? They did. I, I don't know if the rest of the firm. Felt no, I'm, that way. no, but but what you did, like, <laughs> I'm saying, like, like very generally, right? Like, y- y- like, look, I'm going to do this. Here's all my clients. Here's this book. Like, that's a good way to leave places. There but, were certainly no hard feelings for me when I crossed over. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll, well, well, let's get back there. But let's go rewind. 2001 is when we met, right? <laughs> yes. Which is 20. I'm very good at math. 23 years ago now. Um, UJ Law School. Good times. Yeah. Yeah, hell of a class, man. Um, we had some really, really, really impressive classmates that are all over the world at this point doing all kind of incredible things. I tell folks I I graduated in the top 95% of our class, which sounds really impressive if you don't think too hard about it. 95% sounds great. Um, but I was definitely bringing up the back end. I think com- I was right next to you. Like, hey. There's Josh, there's Erica. When your law school class classmates are the likes of Jason Carter, I mean, you, you got a lot to compete with. And I, I wasn't competing well with that, but I had a wonderful time. Man, and That guy's impressive. Right. He's so impressive. Right. He yeah. is. What of many, as you said, like our class to this day, you're still seeing people do really, really great things. Um, and, you know, I didn't know you before law school, obviously, but you were Auburn. So how does that allegiance play out with Auburn undergrad, Georgia Law School? So here's what I say. We we have very divergent um, theories on this. I have pieces of paper from both schools. I have tens of thousands of dollars in student loans from the University of Georgia that say I can be a fan of the University of Georgia. So I am. I'm, I'm an Auburn fan and a Georgia fan. When they play each other, uh, in the beginning, my allegiance still stood with Auburn. Now we are at the point where I, I had so much affection for the University of Georgia um, that I pull for whichever team will benefit more from the win. I would like to interject and say that that is disingenuous at You're best. You're calling bullshit? I am calling bullshit. That is so disingenuous. She is an Auburn fan. Make no mistake, 100%, she is an Auburn fan, and when Auburn and Georgia play, make no mistake, she is rooting for Auburn. War Eagle. Yes. I mean, sweet and simple and God love her, you know, but she's an Auburn fan. Well, well, poor thing's got to be an Auburn fan. Uh That's not an easy road to be. They're a basketball school now. You know, like, you could very easily uh, just be all Georgia. Think of the success we've had the last couple years. I love my dog. 
dogs. I'm a huge Georgia fan. And by the way, let, let's put this in context. All of that is coming from an Alabama graduate. So, who did say before he hit record that he hopes Nick Saban runs for president. So, you know, <laughs> so do I, honestly. As, as a very devoted Auburn and Georgia fan, I have so much respect for Coach Saban, a deep and abiding respect for him. Um, and for years was contemplating how I could possibly get him to come to my office and speak to my associates and, and talk to my staff and, and help me figure out how to coach people because I'm just in awe of what he's done over the years. He's the GOAT. Um, he, he's amazing. He's the GOAT. He's absolutely amazing. So another feather in the cap for Georgia. Y'all got married at the law school in the courtroom. Yes. As far as I know, we are the only couple ever in the history of the University of Georgia School of Law to be married in the law school, in the law school courtroom. Um, and I think part of that is because we never asked permission to do it. <laughs> I was going to ask. I don't remember exactly what all went into it, but was it just, mm -hmm. hey, we're going to just roll in and we're going to have, I mean, you tell me, what, what was We decided on a Wednesday, we were going to get married on Friday. Um, on And it was going to be a very small, very quiet affair. We weren't going to tell anybody. Um, the moot court banquet was on Thursday night. And one of my friends who was going to be there um, had a few drinks, stood up, announced to everybody that if you're not doing anything tomorrow night, Erica and Mark are getting married in the courtroom, you should show up. Um, so we had, what, 20 or 30 people show up, and our friends essentially threw us a wedding because um, we all total for rings and dress and flowers and everything. I think we spent $300 on this event. And for, all, then, for all you kids at home, um, put a little more thought into it. Um, uh, maybe <laughs> no, why? Hey, why would you say years, that? 20 plus years later, you are still sitting here smiling, having a great time, great life. Like, I think that you figured it out. We're Sun unicorns. Sunday, <laughs> this Sunday will be the 23rd anniversary of our first date. At, well, man, and that's another story. First ish date, because uh, we've known each other since we were 15. Um, are you claiming that as our first date? For I'm purposes just sit back of this and listen. Body. I feel I feel like you just stepped in a bear trap there, claiming that as our first date. I say we dated in high school. I say we did not. <laughs> That's a story for a different podcast, possibly for a therapist. <laughs> I think I'm not going to touch this. I think I'm going to just move on to the next topic on my outline and let you all figure this out in the drive home back to Alabama. How's that sound? The, the short version of all of this is that I highly recommend <laughs> eloping. It's worked wonderfully for us. We didn't come out of this thousands of dollars in debt from a one night party. And we had one of the most memorable nights of anybody's entire life uh, because we all you know after this everybody went to an italian restaurant in downtown athens and had dinner together and then we just all went bar, bar hopping yeah. together yes, and so it was good. perfect and then april will be 20 years married so yeah same same me and dana were coming 20 years a lot of us got married right after graduation and or that graduation year you know and then now we're here we are what 20, were we 20 thinking later. we were such babies I, 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 I look back at those pictures and we are, we are babies. Speaking of babies, I have, I have a lot of memories of running into you in courtrooms, like very early mm -hmm. on in, in our career. I don't know if you remember that too, but I'm like, you were one person that I always seemed, we can't, we crossed a bunch of paths. Um, both of us got really good exposure really early on, I feel like in our jobs. I think so. Um, you know, I started my practice in Alabama the first year and a half um, and was down there until Katrina hit. And then came back to Atlanta where all of my connections were, all of my friends were, um, <clears throat> and started with a defense firm 
um, in Midtown and moved around a little bit, but I always had really, really incredible lawyers that I was working for or adjacent to. So I I had the benefit of working for Ray Eckle and Steve Miller at Drew Eckle when I first came back to Georgia and working adjacent to Barbara Marshall, who to this day is still one of my all-time greatest lawyer. I mean, she's just, she's so genuine. She's so authentic. She does things her own way by her own rules. Um, does it really, and does it really well. She does. She really does. Um, and I really valued that experience. Um, and I've played around at a little family law in Decatur for a while with a wonderful firm there. I loved the firm, figured out family law was not a great fit for me. Um, and then came back and did insurance defense for a while longer um, until I decided I, I got to do something else. Now, the bad faith stuff, coverage stuff, that was a lot of work that you were doing, which is different than just a normal car wreck, truck wreck, premises case. That's that's a unique subset of skills I feel like that you have. Um, it's a very odd bird who likes to do that kind of work because... But people that like it, like it, right? We really like it. Yeah. Um, and part of the reason I liked it so much was because it it got me one step removed from some of the really hard stuff from the dead babies and the grieving widows and and some of these really, really gut-wrenching things that are integral to personal injury cases. So if I could take a step away from that and, and look at it more from a contractual aspect and, okay, is there coverage for this? It was easier to digest some of that. So I kind of jumped into saying coverage work, bad faith stuff. People that aren't lawyers that are listening, explain to them what that means. If you're like, I'm doing coverage work, I'm looking at you know insurance policies, that kind of stuff. So when I was doing it for the first 18 years of my career, I was doing it for the insurance companies. Um, and they would come to me with their policy and whatever the case the, the was, the was. claim was. And, and you know, I had to figure out if it was covered. Um, and a lot of times I had to figure out how to make sure it wasn't covered, uh, which is a hard thing to do sometimes. Um, and, and part of the reason that I wanted to make a shift later in life Um and so I'd spend hours and hours and hours reading insurance policies and reading complaints and lawsuits or reading um, demand letters and just trying to figure out whether the insurance policy provided coverage and then give advice to the insurance company on what they should do from there. Um, when I switched sides, I brought that skill set with me, but now I approach it from the opposite side and I'm looking at it in terms of still telling the insurance companies what to do. But now I'm telling them, yeah, there is coverage and here's why you you messed it up on the front end. And I think it's so unique that you can now bring that skill to the plaintiff side because there's not many folks that can do it. Certainly not many folks can do it well. And so that's an area that just needs service that that you are stepping right in and providing. I mean, like we talked yesterday, like when I hear the words declaratory judgment, do you know what I do you know what the first word that comes to my mouth is out to my head? Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> worse than that, you know, and, and if I could pick 10 things to do in a day, like that's going to be the 11th. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not alone. So that's, I mean, people, so, okay, let's talk about that for a second. So declaratory judgment, what is that? How do you get involved? What's the goals? So declaratory judgment actions are typically filed by the insurance company when a lawsuit has been filed or a demand has been made, and it looks like there's no coverage under the insurance policy, but the insurance company doesn't want to just outright deny coverage. Um, and typically what they say is, oh, we need some direction from the court about whether we have to provide coverage for this. Um, <clears throat> the downside for most plaintiffs is that if you are the injured third party in that situation, 
even though the insurance company is going to name you in their lawsuit and you're going to get dragged through that, you actually don't have standing to contest anything they say. So you're kind of just stuck on the sidelines watching all of this carnage unfold. And a lot of times the actual named insured and the defendant, the person who caused the injury, don't have an attorney because the insurance company isn't going to hire an attorney to help them in that case. So they'll end up with a default judgment against those folks. And the insurance company essentially gets a technical knockout. If they get a default judgment, they don't have to provide any coverage at all. And the poor person who got hurt is just stuck. So enter you, enter you. Right. Okay. And and you are, so there's the, the plaintiff in the underlying action, their attorney is the one that's like, we need someone like Erica to help in this declaratory judgment action to make sure that this, this defendant has someone properly looking out for them. Is that, am, right. I saying that, am I saying that right? So a lot of times what will happen is the plaintiff's attorney in the underlying tort suit will call me and say, look, I just got dragged into this deck action. Here's what I want to do. Obviously, I I can't contact the defendant or the named insurer or whoever. I can't solicit that business. Um, but what I'll say to them is, all right, let me look at it. And I'll kind of give them an, a rough idea of, Ugh, you know, I, I really don't think you have much to work with here or yeah, there's there's something defensible here. And if this defendant wants an attorney, tell them they can call me and I'm happy to to talk to him about it. Um, and if it all works out, then I step in and I represent the person who caused the injury to begin with. But I'm representing them in this coverage case and fighting the insurance company so that both the person who did the wrong and the person who was wronged have some coverage that they can work with. Do you think the average person understands what goes into trying to get coverage, insurance coverage on certain cases? I don't think people do either. Um, And the bigger the case, the the more exposure that's there, the more likely there's a fight over the coverage, right? Because the insurance carriers are like, if we can get out of this some way, somehow... <laughs> you're making your face, you know, you know, they're looking for anything under the sun. If there's no defense to it, like what else can we do to try to save ourselves? Well, and it's, you know, it's heartbreaking. Um, and I, I felt this way when I was on the other side, too. It's 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 hard to sit across the table from someone whose husband or wife or child has been killed or severely injured and take the position that, oh. Sorry, but there's no insurance coverage, so you don't get any money for this at all, even though this guy ran head on, head on into you or he was drunk, or, you know, whatever the circumstances are. And those folks are still stuck in this case. I mean, they're not only did their loved one get severely injured or did they get severely injured or, or killed or whatever it was, but now they get dragged through a lawsuit with an insurance company. And it's not their insurance company. It's not anything they had anything to do. They they just want some peace of mind and and some justice for what happened. And they kind of get forgotten about in the whole process. Uh, not to, they get railroaded. They get railroaded. That's what so as as a plaintiff's attorney, are you also now thinking about when you draft your complaint to make the allegations, the cause of actions, the four corners of the document, make it something that triggers the I'm insurance coverage? I'm always thinking about that. Yeah, and I'm, and you're and you're pretty damn good at it, I imagine, because I think that's something that people take for granted. That when they file this complaint, maybe they're just copying and pasting it from some some bank off of online they found from GTLA, and they don't really think about tailoring it, not only to the facts of their case, but also to whatever insurance policy is applicable. 
if you are just using a form complaint in every single complaint, you're doing yourself a disservice um, because you may be cheating yourself out of additional insurance coverage. You may be cheating yourself out of additional claims. Um, the way I typically approach it is, you know, you start out sending these letters of representation to the insurance company. You ask for their declarations pages. Um, a lot of times I'll ask them in my request for coverage confirmation that they confirm there are no coverage issues there. Because if there are, I want to know about that on the front end. If I'm getting, if I'm filing a, a car accident case, I want to know if I'm also going to be dragged into two years of coverage litigation. Um, and it just helps me have a better idea of not artfully drafting pleadings in a way that are untrue, uh, but making sure that I've dotted the I's and crossed the T's and included every fact and every allegation I need to trigger coverage where it's appropriate. Totally. All right. So you've been doing plans for about two years, year and a half? Two okay. years in May. So help me, tell me your approach, the way you kind of look at your cases as a plaintiff's lawyer versus a defense lawyer. Not necessarily like the the the, the legalese, but just your approach as a lawyer. It is so much harder on this side. You think? <laughs> yeah. Okay. How, um, how so? I, being on the defense side, you are you have the benefit of just responding as things come through. Uh, you have to do so much more work on the front end before a case ever gets to be an actual case. Uh, there's so much work that goes into figuring out what exactly are your client's injuries? What doctors have they seen? How do I get those records? How do I get those bills? How do I get this into a posture where if we could get it settled without filing suit, then let's do that? Because that's... <sighs> I don't love filing a lawsuit if I don't have to. If it's not in my client's best interest to do that, I'm not going to do it just to have something to do. Um, but I will, the way I typically try to approach things is if we're at a point where we're ready to file a complaint, we've already gotten all the bills, we've already gotten all the records, we've already talked to the client extensively to figure out what the problems are, and we've got a good sort of game plan about, you know, ultimately what would be our end game if this happened and this happened and this happened. And I've had several conversations with my clients about here's how the road is going to diverge and they understand what's going on. Um, but it's much less uh, formulaic. It's much less organized. Um, and that's not my wheelhouse. I am very type A. I'm um, what Brene Brown refers to as an as over-functioning. So if you're somebody that exists in a, in a high anxiety situation all the time, there there are two sort of camps you fall into. One is over-functioning, one is under-functioning. Um, I'm an over-functioner. I will control. I will lock down. I will tell everybody the best way to do everything in their lives at every moment of the day. You're looking at Mark. Uh, you want to pop in here? We call it insisting upon. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nice way in of saying house, it. We insist upon things. Yeah, uh, we're working on that. Caught between a rock <laughs> and a bigger rock. There you go. So I, I've, so we had a case three or four years ago towards the tail end of your defense side. It was a big truck wreck case. You were on the defense side. Um, I felt like your North Star was always in the right place on the defense side, if that makes sense. I'm saying that the right way. Um, and and that's not the case for all defense attorneys. No. Like that case, you recognized like – some cases, the, the facts where they are, like we don't create the facts. Sometimes you just as a defense lawyer, like shitty facts, you caused a wreck. This is a nice lady. She was really badly hurt. There's a big policy. Like we got to deal with it. Um, 
And I feel like that was your approach, like for minute one on that case. And and we don't see that all the time with defense lawyers. How have you experienced now that you're a plaintiff on the plaintiff side? Do you see people that are treating cases the way you did or the way you'd want to do them or like, people that are just jerking around? I think there are fewer people who treat cases that way um, than I would like to see. Um, and some of that may just be. Yeah, why is that, you think? You know, I honestly don't know. I think on the defense side, you have, because it lends itself to younger lawyers, um, it's easy to come out of law school and fall into jobs like that because they're very secure. They're very reliable. You get a lot of great experience in litigation um, if you do those kind of things. But you also come in with these sort of lofty ideals about what it means to be a lawyer and how you're Atticus Finch in every case. You're putting the boxing gloves up like, like you have to fight on every single thing to prove your bravado. No, it's it's clear liability and it's it's all soft tissue injuries. We don't have to go to the mattresses 17 times on this case. Let's let's just work this out. Um, and the case that you and I had, it that was a bad case. That was a really bad case. Uh, and it was a case where your client deserved to compensated for their injuries without being dragged through years of litigation. And as a defense lawyer, I didn't have much to work with on that side either. Again, I looked at it and again, just said, not your not your fault. It's the facts what the facts are. As a defense lawyer, you don't pick your cases. As a plaintiff's lawyer, like, you know, we can pick our cases. I mean, some firms just have different ways of handling it. But like I, if I see a case and I don't like it, thank you, but no thanks, I can't handle it for you. Right. Defense lawyer, you don't have that luxury. Now, the the flip side of that from the defense side was that I, I did have some good clients who legitimately just got involved in some minor accidents and ended up in lawsuits. And there are plenty of attorneys on this side, too, um, that aren't you, and they aren't as reputable as you are. There are lots of folks that are out there to just set up insurance companies and try to create deep pockets where they didn't exist. And, you know, my clients didn't do anything wrong. There are a lot of defense lawyers who work very hard to make sure that they do the right things. Um, and those kinds of cases and those kinds of lawyers where their whole goal was just to set up a case frustrated me to no end. Um, and it it really it upset me as somebody who worked really, really, really hard for decades to do the right thing. And and to play by the rules and color inside the lines and for the know, most do, do, part, th- do I mean, things the right way. And right. and you're right. People are always trying to find an edge and set things up. And it kind of it pisses me off too. It does it's not a good look for anybody. No, it's not. That's the problem. It it, it we all get painted with the same brush, right? Um and my rule has for the most part in my career has been to play nice until it's time to not play nice. Let me stop you there because because <laughs> you have three rules, not one. Three, yes, you have, have, you, have, you have three I have rules. All three you have three rules, and I'm going to go through them with you. Mm-hmm. And I want I want to talk about each one of them because I think they're awesome. You said the first one: be nice until it's time not to be nice. Technically, that's the third. That's the rule. third. That's the third. But you started three, so we can we can go whatever we can order work you backwards. want. All right, we'll we'll, we'll 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 start. That, with I one. think that's the most important. Okay. Well, tell tell me that. What do you mean by that? So uh, obviously all of these are from Roadhouse um, and it's it's Dalton's rules for his bartenders in or not bartenders for his bouncers in Roadhouse, um, which for anybody who hasn't seen that movie. Every go good life lesson comes from something like Roadhouse. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it is it is. Let's hear, let's hear Erica's take on these rules, though. All right. So be nice until it's time to not be nice. I, I approach every case and come into every case 
as congenial and polite and cooperative as I possibly can be with my adjusters, with my opposing counsel, um, because this is probably not the first case we're going to have together. And it's not the last case we're going to have together, Most, especially after flipping sides. I've worked with a lot of these defense counsel for a lot of years, and I have a really good relationship with most of them. I don't want to burn those bridges just by being a jerk because I'm on the other side now. Um, and that was my approach from the other side, too. I mean, I, I went to law school with a lot of you guys. I didn't want to create enemies for no reason. Um, but there are times when being nice doesn't work. And, you know, the the sort of subset to that rule is don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Just because I'm being nice and I'm being cooperative doesn't mean that I'm not capable of pulling out the guns when I need to. Um, and I, I warn everybody, including the folks who work for me, the folks who work with me, the folks who work against me, the red hair and the five-inch heels are not purely for decoration. If I need to... Spicy. Right. If I need to, I, I can I can pull out the, the big guns, but my preference is to try to work congenially and cooperatively because I, I tend to think most of the time you get better results. To- yeah. So my uh, Edward Lindsay, who who was my first, you know, kind of boss mentor, that kind of thing at, at Goodman McGuffey, he always said, Josh, we don't we won't start a fight, but you damn right. We're going to end it. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's going to be, you know, if someone else wants to throw the grenade. We're going to we're going to end it. Um, and he's right. Like we always start out just like you did call the person <laughs> well may i interject yeah of course when when you say when you say be nice i i think a more appropriate term is being professional that's right um just in terms of being professional and and knowing that these are people that you are going to work with um you know you you would think that is something that would be kind of obvious and understood but it's really not it's also not it's also not taught um i i think i think gotcha you know um, one thing I've found on the plaintiff side, um, so Andy Goldner, who you know really well, he taught me a lot about how to handle myself as a plaintiff's lawyer. And one thing he does and does really, really well is at the end of the case, he establishes a really good relationship with the other attorney. If he, he knows most of them, as do I, as do you, but still pick up the phone and you call that person. If it's nothing more, Hey, my name's Josh. Saw you filed your answer. Look forward to working with you. Here's the case is about whatever it might be, you know? And I'll get, I'll make that call and the defense attorney's like shocked that I would even consider to do something like that. Like to your point, like that's just being professional. I'm not patting myself on the back. That's just like what you think would be a normal function in human behavior, but it's not. It's not. And I'll tell you that some of that works across the board. Some of those, those approaches are universal. Um, There are some things that you and Andy or Armand or Steve Littner that you guys can do as men that I can't necessarily get away with as a woman. Uh, The being nice is not one of those. Um, It's a little harder for me to be charming and and nice all the time. It takes a little more work than it probably does for y'all. But But you've got a better personality. You've got that good sense of humor, a little touch of irreverence. I mean, you know, you got a lot of things going for you. A dose of irreverence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I will say there, I have gone toe to toe with, with some of my partners before about, you know, things that they do. And I'll say, I I can't do that. I I can't do that in a courtroom. I can't do that in front of a judge. I can't do that in a deposition where it's going to be on a record because 
it, it comes across differently when I'm doing it as a woman than it does when you're doing it as a man. It's a very fine line. Um, the older I get, the fewer mm, I give about that. But I do have to be cognizant, particularly if I'm trying a case. I have to be really thoughtful about everything. Um, I have a phenomenal resting bitch face all the time. Um, and and it doesn't really rest either. I mean, everything that I think is going to be on my face if it's not coming out my mouth. So um, that's called what? The RBF? Mm-hmm. You, you think you've got RBF? Oh, surely. <laughs> you're you're self-diagnosing no, yourself No, it doesn't need self-diagnosis. But I mean, you say resting no. as though it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's yeah. like there's ever a resting point. It there's there's rarely, oh it's yeah. ABF. It, the eyebrows will come down. I'll get, I, I will have this look of utter incredulity. Or, if I close my eyes and think about your face, I'm thinking of smiles. I'm thinking of laughing, making jokes. Mark, am I wrong? Love you, buddy. Come on. <laughs> Look, you're laughing right now. There Mark would suggest you live with me for a few years before you make that call. Um, just from my perspective. Just from my perspective. I know, it, particularly in trials. I mean, because they're they're very stressful, very intense situations. And you're you're also listening very intently the entire time to what every single person is saying so that you can respond to it. I have to be very cognizant of the way I am presenting myself at every moment in a courtroom, because a lot of guys can sit there and they, you know, they can look very contemplative and they can be very smart. If I start doing that, I look like I'm just pissed. Um, and I probably am. <laughs> honestly. Um, Fair enough. All right. Rule one. We went to, we, we started yes. three. Let's go one. Rule one, number one is never underestimate. Never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Yes. Uh, I think that very probably. Very deep. Very smart. Uh, well, I, that, I think, goes without saying. There, you know, it doesn't need a whole lot of explanation there. Um, I will always be the most overprepared lawyer in the room. Always. Um, which is one of the big challenges of being on this side because you don't have the luxury of billing somebody for that anymore. Um, and so the level of preparation that I'm doing is not that different than when I was on the defense side, um, but it creates a lot more work on this side for sure. I actually think there's more freedom on this side to be overprepared because you're not having to explain. That's what ultimately drove me out of the defense side, having to explain away my 0.8 hours for working on whatever, or two hours doing this, like, and then they cut it. And they cut it. Like, Josh, you spent too much time preparing for that really big deposition that you did a good job on that saved us however much money. But you spent two hours. It should have been 1.5, whatever it is. I feel free now to do whatever the hell I want to make sure. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Right. But But I, fe I feel free to spend the amount of time that I think is needed to do the do the do uh, whatever the event is. Yeah. Um, so Mark, Mike uh, Rapier was on here a little while back, and he said the biggest compliment that he got was he submitted a fees order, and it was like, hundreds of thousands of, of whatever it was like tons of hours and the defense was like he spent way too much time on doing these things and he's like well i guess it worked because we just kicked your ass he's like if they think that i'm spending too much time on something i'm taking that as a compliment yeah that that's absolutely right um and you know billing for your time is an art form um figuring out how to do it effectively and, and truly figuring out how much work you can put into something without having to walk away from it because you know they're not going to pay for it. Um, but I, I think the difference is, um, and maybe as I do this more and I get more comfortable being on this side, it won't require quite the level of work. Um, but I don't ever want to walk into a room and feel like I've been ambushed 
because I didn't prepare. I mean, there are always things that are going to come up that you don't expect. But I don't ever want to feel like, ooh, crap, if I had read that medical record, I would have known that two days before this accident, my client was consulting with a knee surgeon and we're claiming a knee. Oh, shame on me for that. Yeah. All right. The second rule, the last of the three, which is my favorite, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it is absolutely necessary. I think that's the most important rule. You don't want to start throwing fists in the middle of a deposition where it's going to be reflected on the record. So we're making the analogy of, of, you know, a bar and a conference room taking depositions. Right. I mean, bar, you don't start it within, and, and the state bar. Yeah, don't don't start throwing haymakers in the middle of the state bar. Take it out in the parking lot. I'm day. picturing Boar's Head in Athens. Fair. Or Roadhouse or whatever the bars. I don't, I don't you know. Uh, you've been in some bar fights? I mean, throwing down, Mark, throwing down at all? I mean, can I plead the fifth in here? This this is a civil firm? No. No. <laughs> I've never thrown a punch in my life. I, I, I think it'd be comical to watch. Um, I talk a big game, um, and I very nearly started a few that he was going to have to finish. <laughs> I've, I've heard some of those stories before. I told you I wouldn't press you on those here today, but I do like those stories. But I think two and three kind of go together, right? Like, you'll be cool, you'll be good, but if you got to start something like, we're going to go, but we're going to go outside and do it. And you're going to win. Unless it's, well, Truist Park. I was going to say Turner Field. Unless it's at, at, at Truist Park. Um, I will start some stuff in the middle of Truist Park for sure. Um, not not with other fans, but there's a reason that we now have to sit way out in the outfield. Mark, you want to chime, you want to chime in here? I will. Um, we used to routinely sit um, behind home field or home plate um, or or on the first base line. Uh, we eventually had to move further out into the outfield. Uh, my preferred Way spot is it, my preferred spot is left field, um, mainly because the salty language that comes out of this one. I know you hear her on this podcast and you think oh, she's got it all together. I I'm assure you. you. She I assure done really you, well. She just not. She's done really well, by the way. I'm going to say she's done really well. Yeah. I totally have that E button that stands for Erica. I can click yes. and it's fine, but she's, she's not the explicit no. button. It's the Erica yeah, button. She's good. I assure you, many a child has had earmuffs uh, within four to six rows of this human being. Many yeah. a parent have moved away from us. So do you feel the left field section is more tolerating to this type of behavior? Is oh, that- it absolutely is. Left field. Um, it also doesn't get picked up on the camera mics. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> so if we're sitting behind home plate, you're going to see me turning purple, screaming, come on, blue. Is it, is it the umpire that gets you fired up? Oh, every time. Every time. Every time. Come on, blue is her signature call. That really is the only one I know. Yep. <laughs> um, um, and get him if it's football in, in and football. we're on defense. Yeah, football. I know get, get him, him or go. Go is my go-to offensive play. <laughs> go. 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 Just go. Just go. go. Run! <laughs> go. Just go. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can get on board with that. It's brilliant. Right? Motion Motion equals progress, which is sort of a <laughs> sort of our mantra it's been a theme of our marriage for <laughs> yeah, years. For twenty plus years, motion equals progress. <laughs> Just keep moving. Just Something keep moving. will happen. One yeah. of us, one of us debates that, but <laughs> here we so are. I'm going to take years. the segue. That's my job to take segues. Okay. Yes. Um, you talked about moving, which you've moved. You know, we from moved a lot. you moved a lot Alabama back to Atlanta up to Rabin. 
now to Alabama, back to Auburn. So um, you have you have figured out a way to do this job in a way that makes you happy and suits your lifestyle. Um, being able to work remotely is very important to you. You're good at it. You've you've kind of made it part of your practice. Explain. Um, well, first of all, I'm incredibly grateful to the partners that I work for for allowing me to be able to do that. Um, what we what I figured out during COVID before I switched sides was that we don't actually have to be in an office five days a week, seven days a week, um, all day long, that most of what we do day in, day out is sit in front of a computer. Um, and most of that can be done anywhere. Um, and at that time, I also had my two junior partners had young kids or they were about to have kids. Um, and it was really important for them to be able to have that time at home and not spend all this extra time commuting. Um, so I kind of picked up my whole team even after COVID and just said, you know what, we're I'm going to try remote with my team. Let's see how this works because it saves on overhead. You have employees. If your employees are responsible and disciplined enough to do it, I mean, that's the challenge. Um, and that's where I really sort of fell in love with being able to work from home. Um, and when I moved over to Littner Deganium, we had, had we moved up to Rabin then? We had, we'd already moved up. Yeah. You're already there. Yeah. Um, that obviously I wasn't going to commute an hour and 45 minutes from Rabin County down to Atlanta every day. So they were completely on board with me working remotely. Um, and it's worked out really, really well for the most part. Most of my depositions are Zoom if I can do it. Um, if opposing counsel won't agree to it, then I just get in the car and drive back up here or I drive to Columbus or Macon or wherever it is. Um, I have a case that's pending in Bartow County and I've been for about four months in a row. I was making the commute to Cartersville <laughs> at least once every few weeks. Um, and it's, you know, it's not that bad. But for me, being able to be home, work from home in a quiet environment where my office mates are my three giant dogs who sleep on the couch behind me all day, including in depositions and hearings and things like that. Um, it's just such a an incredible work-life balance isn't even the right word. I mean, it's just being able to open my door and sit down at, at our kitchen table and have lunch together or my brother and his wife have four young kids and and being able to be home if they need something or my parents who are getting a little bit older live a mile away from us now if i need to leave at 11 to take my dad to an eye doctor's appointment i can do that and then i can come right back to my office and pick up where i left off without a 45 minute commute so much time you're saving right just much more productive and I'm not tired. I mean, that's the other piece of this is that and I I loved Atlanta. I I didn't want to leave Atlanta <laughs> really. We lived here what? Not I guess about sixteen years 16. before we moved up to Rabin. Um and when we moved up there, I missed it every single day. I love this city. Um and, and it will always feel like home to me. Um, but there is just a fatigue that goes along with living, particularly ITP living, because if you need to go to Target or the grocery store, even if it's 1.2 miles away, it's going to take you 20 minutes and a lot of swear words and a few fingers before you get from your house to the Target parking lot. And what about retaining employees, retaining other lawyers? You mentioned being a female. There's different things going on. you got a family at home. you got kids. This provides opportunities to still get the job done, having virtual as the option versus driving every day. Yeah. And I, you know, my, 
I don't have kids of my own. I have an incredible stepdaughter who's 25 now. Um, but she was hands down, she was the easiest child that's ever been made in the world. She just was flawless and never caused us any problems, um, which was great for me because if I had made something myself, it would have come out with a full set of teeth and a tail. I just had no business procreating of my own. But, <laughs> but I, my two partners had very young babies, and it it does help them. It gives them the freedom to be able to drop kids off at daycare when they need to, or pick them up when they get sick, or you know. They, and one was a guy, one was a girl. It's just you know, it it works for both of them. Um, I, for me, it's just more about having the space, having the room, and having the freedom and the latitude to work comfortably when I need to, where I need to. And I, I think I'd do a better job doing What's your setup like? You got a dedicated space. This is your office, dogs behind you, computers, everything. Impeccably decorated. My home office and my office office in Columbus. Um, and I get a lot of flack for that because, I mean, it's, you know, it's crystal lamps and it's curated artwork and it's white leather couches. And in my Columbus office, in my home office, it is antique couches and huge bookcases and pictures and maps and all these from everywhere that we've traveled. By the way, that's just important. It is. It's important. I think having the space that you like and look around and enjoy and got cool things like I think that it's important. I spend more time in those two spaces. So my Columbus office, because I've, I've relocated my not remote office to our Columbus space. Um, so that office and my home office, I spend more time in those rooms than I do anywhere else, pretty much. And if I can't be comfortable there and I can't and I don't feel like it's my space, then I'm not going to be very productive. So when I uh, when I do these podcasts, I always learn something about people by reading online, things like that. I knew you were crazy, but I didn't realize how crazy you were. You have four licenses in four different states. I, do. That's um, I don't practice in Mississippi anymore because it's just it's too far. When I first got admitted. I was in Alabama down on the coast. Um, so I, I got Alabama first, then Mississippi, because it was right over the line um, and had planned to apply for the Florida bar next. And then Katrina hit and we relocated and I had not gotten my Mississippi bar results back before I sat for the Georgia bar. <laughs> so I actually took three bars. I was going to ask how many you actually took. I know there's some reciprocity deals, which that's still a pain in the ass. Like yes. All that paper and everything. So you took three different bars. I only had to take the multi-state one time, but I took, and I took that with Alabama. Then I had to do the Mississippi-specific bar, and I had to do the Georgia-specific bar when I moved here. And then I was able to wave into Tennessee. Um, I still practice, obviously I practice in Alabama, um, and I'm trying to build up more of that work there now. Um so still practice there, still practice in Tennessee. Um, and of course, uh, most of my work is in Georgia. I have a hard enough time doing my 12 CLE hours in Georgia every year. You have that times three? Um, December 30th and 31st, I am sitting in front of my computer about 18 hours a day watching CLEs trying to You know get you have until like March to do that. No, not in Tennessee and Alabama. Oh, okay. Because in Georgia, like you might pay a little fine that goes along with it, but like mine is March 30th and March 31st, 50, <laughs> whatever it is. And I it, I have this email saved in my inbox. It's like, you know, on sale, CLE. I'm like, I need that. And it's just sitting there. Sitting there it's, it'll be March 30th before I'm like, all right, now I got to do it today. That's what I, well, if you wait until, and it's probably even better in March, but 
on December 30th, they start discounting things 75%. And I, and I will tell you, some of those CLEs are really good. They're really fascinating because they're not just so specific. You're um, not so sure, Mark? I assure you, she also has until March March 31st to do, to do whatever it is she's doing. However... Um, don't ever underestimate crazy. She, <laughs> she wants to get done by December 31st. She wants it done by the 31st. That's so, that. I'm not going to be the one to, to go to Steve Littner and tell him that he has to pay an extra few hundred dollars. Now because we're I didn't microphones? What are we doing here? The rest make crazy. <laughs> Hopefully this will get edited out. Yeah. I don't know. We have to let it roll. These are the outtakes. <laughs> So for the record, minute 46.30 through 48.05 were spent fixing a microphone that our, <laughs> that, that, that our girl here decided to declare war to, on. To pick up like Elvis and just walk through the walk through the building. Oh, <laughs> I could do that. We were, Can just, I just... We, we were just saying your behavior has been so good. <laughs> yeah, I've been so well behaved, but I'm at the bottom of my first like drink. I was about to say, road. you might be yeah. a poor devil. Speaking of these drinks, so Mark, I just tried the uh, pre-made tip-top old-fashioned in a pinch, it'll work. I agree. I mean, one hundred percent. Yeah, as, as an old fashioned man, I one hundred percent agree. Yeah. yeah, easy. Well, I think y'all drank the only one, so you're gonna have to make me. We no, will. there's oh there oh there's some left. Yeah, okay. we say it a little before you get some ice too. All right, so your other your other reason or not other reason, but while you're in Atlanta, you got Hamilton tickets tonight. Yes, super excited. So my friend Holly Pearson. Um, who's an exceptional attorney, um, got us tickets to Hamilton tonight. We're going to go see that. Um, and this will be my third time seeing I've seen it once in Memphis, and this will be the second time at the Fox. You a Hamilton guy, Mark? You know what? Uh, you can say yes. It's okay. Yes. I would not have thought I would have been. Um, I, I do not love musical theater. People sing speaking. Um, was never my thing. The way the way that they emphatically, you know, speak in a singing voice at you, I, I thought, no way. However, big, we, big fan of We him. are brothers from another mother. <laughs> because my answer is exactly yes, yes. the same as yours. Yes. I, I admit it. I love Hamilton. And when you told me you were going to, I'm like, finally, I can bring it up on the podcast. So we can spend a couple of minutes talking about Hamilton. I love it. Who is your favorite? Uh, your favorite character or actor? Or... Sure, sure, sure. So uh, I'm going to answer it with the original cast, okay? Yes. Davine Diggs, who played um, Lafayette in Act One. <laughs> my, my man, my yeah. man, <laughs> man spinning in his circle. In his, and then he there plays um, Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson in Act yes. Two. Right. The guy is brilliant. Amazing. Amazing. Brilliant. I recommend it to everyone. The uh, the rap that Lafayette does in Act One digs magic. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's magic. Well, so I had my doubts, and then we watched. You know, we watched it um, on TV, um, and the 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 scene where they're sitting they're sitting in a pub, um, and they start banging right? yeah. banging on a table and flask going around. I was like, man. This is public school. <laughs> <laughs> this is 1785 public school. Exactly. I thought they've got me here. They they really they really they're really, it they're on really your version of public school. It was my version of public school. So we went now, to the same high school. So me and Mark have similar uh, appreciations for characters. Where do you land? 
Um, uh, you know, I, of course, I'm a big fan of the King girls. George. Uh, <laughs> he, he, hey, I do a lot. Of, dude, he steals it. He, he steals the show, man. <laughs> to be in two scenes, he is or three scenes. He's exquisite. He's a, and the original cast, King George, Correct. particularly. Um, I, I love Eliza. Eliza. I'll always love Eliza. And I, <laughs> what I think is so fascinating about all of that is that, but for Lynn manuel Miranda making this show, you would not know anything about Eliza. You wouldn't know who she was. I mean, you might know that he was married to a woman named Eliza, but you wouldn't know anything about what she I'll did. go one step further. Like, most people won't know much about Alexander Hamilton. Right. Or right. Aaron Burr. I mean, these aren't presidents. That's these what they know. You know they, they know. they know the they, they had a duel, and that's it. Yeah. Um, she lived such an extraordinary life that that you really don't even get from the show itself. You hear a, a tiny bit about it at the very end after he dies when she takes the stage and it's... it's The last song is powerful. Um, but that sort of prompted me after the first two times I saw the show to look into more of her life and what she had done. And it's really incredible. The things that she did at the time that she was doing them um, and to do them as a woman on her own, not with a man backing her, not with... Especially you know, in the 1800s. It's, it's absolutely incredible the things that she accomplished and the way that she accomplished them. Um, and I just uh, absolutely... And, uh, you know, her ballad in the middle of the show where she lights the letter on fire on stage is just incredible. So is that your favorite song slash scene? Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Mark? I'm not well versed enough to quote a favorite song or scene. Um, well, but we're gonna make you sing anything. <laughs> he has a beautiful voice. He does uh, anything with 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 uh, the gent who plays uh, Thomas Jefferson or Lafayette. That's that's my guy. When he gets Just up there, guy. and um, I think it's a Reynolds pamphlet, and they start saying that he ain't never be president now. You know, they start celebrating. <laughs> And they're dancing and they're throwing money around. Yeah. He ain't never going to be president now. My son, who he was, he was probably eight, maybe younger. He could give two shits about any of this stuff. We're like, you're going to this, you know, we went to Greenberg, you're going. That scene lit him up, man. Yeah. It's just good stuff. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, everything about it's good. That's a, he did such an incredible job with that show. I mean, we all sort of. Because it's become such a household name and and such a phenomenon now, we we almost sort of take for granted what an incredible creation it was for him to put this together the way that he did, to cast it the way that he did, to create the lyrics and the music and and just the ambiance of this show. And it's something that you've just never really seen before. I mean, you saw... You saw a little bit of the essence of it in in, in shows like Stomp, um, but you just don't see it to the extent that you do in Hamilton. And it's just so beautifully, masterfully done. And I just I, I have the greatest the, respect for him. Just the absolute driest, just stodgiest material. Yeah, brought that, to life. I mean, I mean, it's amazing. So you're going tonight. We're going February 11th. So I'm already excited about that. Very nice. So, very good. All right. Before we finish up, Mark, you you asked the best question of the day before we start recording about walk up songs. Yes. Walk up songs. Yes. Walking up. I mean, this is your this is your uh, segment. So let's go. This is the sports part of this that yeah. I, I brought the ringer <laughs> yeah. in for, so I don't have to talk about so, sports. So, uh, as someone who's been married to a litigator for for 
quite some time. Um, Almost 20 years. My, my, I have always wondered, what would be your walk-up song as an attorney? What's your walk-up song? Mine, were I an attorney? I'll just roll mine out there. Um, and, and, and to clarify, you know, uh, venue can change, whether it's jury trial, whether it's a bench trial, all of that can change. You can have different songs for that. Um, for me, mine would be Funkadelic. Can you get with that? <laughs> That's, I want, the, I want, um, uh, I want my jury to know that we're going to have a good time. But we stand on business here, so I think that song. I think that song conveys your, that. your lovely wife. She said you have a good singing voice. Let's hear a couple of the lyrics. Oh no 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 no! Absolutely, one hundred percent not. Are no. you walking in in like an instrumental part or or the, oh. the words dropping? Like, tell me because because you only get like you're not getting the four minutes right. You oh get, no no no! You get like Straight a twenty thirty yeah, second clip. Yeah, I, I get my twenty. I, I mean, if you were to pull it up and play it, I get my intro. It's about 30 seconds of intro, and it's just me walking through the middle. Yeah. So we can actually do that. Tell me, tell <laughs> yeah, me the song we're on. It's Funkadelic. Can't you get with that? <laughs> can we make him walk around the conference table? Sure. Oh, you bet we can. It's going to be inspiring. <laughs> bet we can. It's sort of a George Jefferson kind of walk, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That part. <laughs> so this is you walking into DeKalb County. Like, let's go. We're about to get ourselves a seven-figure verdict. Right that. Right here. Okay. I think I'm going to get it. You ready? All right. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Erica, you're next. What you got? Oh, mine's easy. It's the Darth Vader theme. Because about, what, 10, 12 years ago, I was graciously given the nickname Darth Parsons, right? How is that not mine? But you got to get the essential. There you go. Here she comes. <laughs> right? Here she comes, man. And then there's just the collective. I think the dichotomy of our our two diverging songs. Um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty perfect representation right? of the two of us. <laughs> I... Kids at home, this is why we work. <laughs> why we work. Yeah. I think it's working well. All right. Well, here's mine. It's going to take me a second to pull it up. I'm going to go right to the part that I like. This is slow. Night Ranger, Sister Christian. Never heard it played so many times in a row before. <laughs> You want to get it to the good part, right? Coming in right now. I'm walking in, ladies and gentlemen. Josh Stein. <laughs> We're motoring. tonight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We go with that. That's that's you go with that. It, yeah, I agree. That's the I point agree. in the song where I'm screaming and pointing. No, by the way, I picked Funkadelic just just because I could hit play on the front end. My alternate for, for that is um, the Hollies, Long Cool Woman, which is also on the front end, just like that. You give some thought to this. Easy, I like easy. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you give some thought to Oh, this. you better believe it. <laughs> Man, me, me and you got to do our own podcast, I think, about uh, this was great. This was fun. Thank you so what, much what, for letting what, us what, do what, this. What do we miss? Mark, what do we miss? 
Um, we can edit this, correct? Yes. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so I did have I did have a spiel for for um all of you all of you attorney spouses out there. Go ahead. My advice to attorney spouses: It's okay to be the person on the ground who you know. After a, uh, I don't know, after a skydiving accident, who 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 just shows up and says, "From down here, looks like your chute didn't open," you know, <laughs> right? I'm good with that. That's my advice That's to all advice? to all of you attorney spouses. It's okay. In fact, it's actually like that's probably the way you should go. From you know. You're not going to win a Fields Medal, and you're not going to get a Macar MacArthur Junior Genius Grant. But from down here, your shoot didn't open. You can, you know, that actually goes a long way with your spouse. So if you're if you're slugging it out with with, <laughs> with your attorney, you, 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 co you co-sign on this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do I no, do I co-sign? I, you know, I, here's what I'm figuring out. The longer we're married, you you can't edit this, right? Um, he's right so, about a lot listen, more stuff than so I ever thought. I can edit. Whether I choose to edit is a whole other <laughs> thing. But yeah. I can. Fair. Fair. Um, so don't edit this out. Okay. Hey, he is right a lot more than than I thought. Um, and he's really, really ninja smart about things. Like he'll he'll slow play it. Um, this is what they say about autistic people. <laughs> Just, just rolling that out there. Like, man, have you ever spilled toothpicks in front of this guy? <laughs> Woo! Man, he can pick him up. I thought you were going to say, this is about people on dates. She was really nice. <laughs> she, he was really nice. You know, He had a great personality. He had a great personality. <laughs> he had a great personality. I do uh, have a great personality. Man, you, you two are the best. You two are the best. Come on back to Atlanta more often. Let's do this. And we, we, we never got to the third, uh, third, we'll, we'll, the, 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 the third bottle of old-fashioned stuff so oh, we'll, we'll try yeah. next time but uh all right erica people that hear this and say yes the kind of stuff that she's bringing to these cases on the coverage side or just case in general i need her in my life I need her in my cases how do people find you uh litner deganian uh, our website is litnerlaw.com you can find my bio there my email address is erica at litnerlaw.com or you can just pull me up on the georgia bar website and find my phone number feel free to reach out to me anytime that phone number will Call, text, fax. You can get me any way you need me there. Um, and if you can't reach me right away, that's probably because I'm out walking one of my three giant dogs. Just leave me a message. I'll call you back as soon as I'm back in. Can't reach you. Bother Armand. Yeah. Bother him somewhere. Well, where, where, where he's at. Uh, he's probably on a ski slope somewhere <laughs> or posing ridiculously. I like you saw the calendar we had in our office of him. You you, you saw that before he started. What the hell is this guy doing? I don't know, man. He's being Armand. Yeah. All right, Erica. Thank you, Mark. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you all for listening. I know y'all enjoyed this. And, uh, you know, as always, till next time, keep chopping.